Good morning. Good morning. I guess it's a good morning. It was a slippery morning driving up here. All right, you can turn to the book of Judges, if you would, chapter 3. So in my reading, I'm going through Judges now. It's always a fun book, an interesting book to read. For me, as I read it, it just seems like the times progressively get darker uh, as you make your way through Judges. And it's, a, for me, always an interesting journey to read through this. Uh, probably like you, read it several times, but it just always speaks afresh and anew every time as well. So, I, uh, I want to read, before we get to that, you don't have to turn... <coughs> We turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. My theme or the concept I want to get across today is the idea of unsung heroes. I've mentioned it before. I'm always fascinated in the Bible when people do incredible things and we never know who they are. That just always intrigues me. And it encourages me because we don't always have to be known, right? (laughs) We don't always have to be great. I, I don't know about you, but you know, especially as a preacher, you look at all these ministries and you kind of naturally, I think, aspire to want all of that. But I've also found out that God uses the little pastors of the little churches Amen. at that time. But I've also come to realize that like some of these great heroes of the faith, like I read about the missionaries and so forth, like just finished... Um, Adoniram Judson, and and now on uh, John uh, Patton. You know, they had in their background a spiritual foundation upon which they could build. So you know the names of these great guys, but how many times do you really focus in on, like, the parents or the grandparents that might have been walking with God? So that's why I like these unsung heroes, because sometimes they're not even named, or if, if they are named, they're just kind of like a little blip on the radar screen of biblical history for a time, and it moves on, and they don't get much print. I like focusing on those. So with that, I, 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 uh, they kind of segue us into where I want our mindset to be. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, Paul says to the Corinthians, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, in things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. God wants all the glory. No, that's the wrong way to put it. God deserves all the glory. And he, he wants us to see our role as ambassadors for him during the time in which we live to bring glory to him. In other words, to not have the focus on ourselves, but to kind of be that vessel through which the world gets a little window peek into 
God, right? I mean, that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be little walking candles, little walking light bulbs in the midst of the darkness. And so when people see us, somehow we stick out. Now, I don't know how that's supposed to play out. You know, this is what I do now that I drive a school bus. I've been, I, I think I've mentioned this. I can never remember what I say. But every day, I pray over that bus, well, inside. You know, I, I do all my checks and everything, and then I go to the back of the bus, and I stop, and I pray. And I ask God to somehow, that he'll protect us, watch over us, keep me from making any errors, other people that they won't run into us, and that somehow God's presence, his Holy Spirit, will somehow be in that bus, right? And that God somehow, through me, unbeknownst to me, can somehow... <laughs> You know, my mind is just so childlike, kind of radiate, and they somehow see something different. Now, I don't know if they are or not, but I want to believe that God can use me, and if nothing else, and I ask that his angels will protect us, and that the angels will be in the bus, you know, I just, whatever there's a possibility of God, I just want it to happen. And then five minutes down the road, I've lost it, you know? And uh, I was thinking about that this morning. You know, that's where we have to trust that God works through our prayers at which we petition him. Even though here you've just full of faith with God 15 minutes later, be quiet. You know, you're yelling at the kids. It's like, Wah! where is all that Holy Spirit working? But he is, and we have to believe that he is. So I, th- I, I just want us to get a grasp of the fact that we're supposed to be little light bulbs in the midst of the darkness. You might not see how you shine. You might not think you shine. But we have to believe that God is shining through us, whether we feel it or think it or see it or even know about it. Because that's why God saved us, to bring him the glory. That Nobody will glory in the flesh, but that God will get the glory. So, when I read in the book of Judges about a couple unsung heroes, I get excited. Now, I don't know if this is how this is set up, but I'm looking at it like this. Four people, although there's one person, one person, and I want to put them together, kind of juxtaposed to one another, then... Two people working together as one, <clears throat> and then another person in the midst of it. So we have four, I'm calling them four people, but groupings. One person, one person, a group of two as one, <clears throat> we'll see, and then one person. And I think the second part of each grouping contrasts to the first person in the grouping. And what I mean by that is, as you read, as we read the first about the first person in each grouping, you can kind of expect and see and understand why God used them. And since we're not in the, that, most of us are in that category. We'll get to it. So just hang with me. I'm trying to lay a background. Since most of us aren't in categories number one, it, it's it's it might be easy to think. Well, sure, God can use that person and that person. But not me, because I'm not like that person or that person. But then you find out you're like the second person in each group. And it's like, oh, okay, God can use me if I'm not willing, uh, if I'm willing to not have a lot of praise, 
and maybe have my name known and kind of just be a little blip in time that may or may not get mentioned in the, in the, in the scope of things in which we live. Okay. You know, we have to be okay with that because that's where most of us live, right? We're just plain folk. <clears throat> All right, so now we're going to read several verses. I'll try to read slowly so that you can follow with me <clears throat> because to, to see this, we have to get the narrative, right? So, um, have, have we prayed at all today? Did I miss it? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'll just bless this time. Thank you that we can be here, Father. I love it. Um, it just renews my spirit, and I, and I so appreciate that. I ask, Father, that you bless as we look at your word. I feel like an unworthy vessel to bring it forth this morning, but I thank you. I want to believe you've given me something in my heart to try to be able to share because you're working it in me. So help me to bring that across this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need his help, Father. This book is alive. Uh, it's, it's alive through the Holy Spirit's working, and it can only be alive in the hearts of those, really, that uh, have the Holy Spirit living in them. Uh, so work in our hearts. But for those that may listen or hear or whatever that aren't saved and the Holy Spirit isn't working in them, because uh, he doesn't live within them, is what I mean. I pray that his 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 uh, presence would work in their lives to draw them to Yeshua uh, for salvation. So, Father, we we praise you this morning. Thank you. And as he sings in Yeshua's name, amen. All right. So, here we go. Uh, Judges chapter 3, verse 12. And, and, and I'm just going to interrupt the narrative as I go along because that's just how I'm going to do it. I, I was thinking... It's so refreshing now to preach this way because before, for whatever reason, I had it in my head, you have to have like three points, point one, A, B, point two, A, B, you know, and if you have an A, you have point one, A, one, two, you know, I mean, that's how it's taught, so it was always this kind of, and that's okay, I mean, a lot of preachers do that, but to me, I wish I had known this a long time ago, it's a whole lot more fun for me anyway to just kind of go through the flow, and uh, let it kind of speak for itself, I suppose. All right, so verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I like that. First of all, this, my mind says, oh, not again, please, not again. How can you people be doing this again? And then after I get through my, my arrogance and my haughtiness, it's like, Warren, hello, Warren. How many times have you been again and again and again and again? And so I like the fact that we can, in the right sense, take encouragement by the fact that, yes, we mess up, but God is always there to bring us through our mess-ups, you know. So, so, so they did evil again. And just, I want you to look at a few times we've, where we see this, all right? If you go back to chapter 2, to let you know there's sort of a pattern here. Chapter 2, verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Verse 19. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Uh, let's see, chapter 
uh, where do I want to go? Let's go with chapter, well, let me see what I have here. Oh, chapter 4, verse 1. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Chapter 10. There's not many of these. These are the last ones. Chapter 10. And verse 6. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and all these other gods and, and forsook the Lord and served not him. And then, uh, what was that? And then the last one is chapter 13 and verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. So there's a pattern here. And I wish we were a little bit different than this pattern, but this pattern seems to be us. I mean, how many times have you said, God, I can't believe I did this again. God, I can't believe I didn't witness again. God, I can't believe I didn't remember to again. You know, so take heart. We're not alone in this. We, we see it over and over and over. Paul said we're supposed to see these things and learn from them because there are examples to us so that we won't keep doing again and again and again and again and again. I mean, don't you get tired of, you know, oh, God, I'm sorry I didn't again. Oh, God, I'm sorry I did again. Well, we see in, in the children of Israel that this seems to be a pattern, but God wants the people get to the point where they're tired of themselves and tired of their sins and see the consequences of their disobedience or lack of obedience. They cry out to God and thank God he comes and says, come on, let's go, get your heart right, we're going to move forward. And he does. He, he just brings us to that point again. Um... All right, and then the other thing, what I thought was cool, well, I don't know if it's cool, but interesting in this verse, it says that the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. Now, you know, I told you how I read. I kind of stop and think, ah, all right, I wonder if this guy knew God was doing this. You know, how does God do that? How does God come along and strengthen somebody? You know, they're not praying for strength. They're not looking for God to strengthen them. But he comes along and somehow, I don't know how he does it, take control, possess, work in them. I don't know how he does it. You know, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know, did Pharaoh sit there and say, yep, God just hardened my heart. I could feel it. I knew exactly when it happened. I don't know how God does that. But it's interesting that God, the way I say it, just kind of reaches from wherever he is into time somehow and says, all right, I need this vessel to waken up my people. I'm going to strengthen him against my people. To me, it's fascinating to see how God works behind the scenes. And he does that all the time in our lives. As I was kind of shared last week, as somebody shared with me last week, you know, you don't know that you're being used. You don't really think God is kind of, hello, where are you? But he is working, and he will work. All right, so let's keep reading. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of uh, Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. An interesting side note, Eglon, I don't know if I'm saying it right, Eglon, Eglon, he's from Moab, just like Balak. Remember, we read about Balak is from Moab. So it's interesting, we still we have the same locale where these things are happening. Uh, okay, verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, 
The Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. I like that. Gideon, where are you? Left-handed. God can use left-handed people. And, and what I thought was interesting, just as a side note, turn up to chapter 20 here. Um, and I don't know what to make of this, but chapter 20, verse 15. And the children of Benjamin, which is really interesting because it's Ehud, uh, he's a, a, a Benjamite. So now we get to chapter 20. And the children of Benjamin were numbered at that time out of the cities. Uh, 20 and 6,000 men that drew sword beside the inhabitants of Gideon, which were numbered 700 chosen men. Among all this people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss. You know, that's interesting. You know, this left-handed. As we see in the story, I think it's really significant in this, and we're told this detail because you're, if, if you're going to do battle with somebody, I, I, we're probably programmed to think the person's going to be left-handed. If the person's going to pull a gun, it's going to be a left hand. I mean, right-handed. Sorry, it's, we're programmed that most people are right-handed. You know, if you're going to pull a knife, it's going to be right-handed. So you're pre-programmed. I watch Westerns, you know, and I love watching the Westerns. Well, every once in a while, the guy's a left-handed gunman. And it takes the other people by surprise. You know, sometimes they're not expecting. Or if he has two guns, he can work both hands just as well. In this story, he's left-handed. You know, God can use... He's... I get too excited. God can... So God made us to use us the way he made us. Right? You know, what you may think is a disability may not be a disability in the plan and mind of God. Right? So this guy's left-handed. So, um, verse 15, second part. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. I have a hurt child here. Verse 16. But Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length. And he did gird it under his raiment, under his right thigh. And he brought the present to Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto the king, uh, unto thee, O king, who said, keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade. I love all this detail. And the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly and the dirt came out. (laughs) Then Ehud went forth through the porch and uh, shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. So so he's not expecting, not that he's expecting anything, but he's left-handed, so he's going to be reaching. He won't be using his right hand, he'll be using his left hand. This guy's, you know, just... 
not expecting anything. He sticks it in him, and it says, and the dirt came out. It's probably a euphemism for, and I won't get into the details. I, I looked into all this, but, you know, <clears throat> he probably pooped his pants. You know, it, he lost control of his bowel movement because of what happened, and especially at the angle in which the sword went because of the word that is behind this, this idea of dirt. But it just took him totally by surprise. Verse 26. Uh, nope. Uh, where'd it go? Where's, where's the dirt? 23. Uh, then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. When he was gone out, his servants came. And when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, surely he covers his feet in his summer chamber. That can mean one or two things. Some say that, you know, this is a place where he might have gone in, you know, during this time of the season because it was hot and a cool place to lay down. The other is he might be using the latrine. Okay, so that's what they're thinking may be going on. 25, and they tarried till they were ashamed, and behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore, they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried, and passed through the quarries, and escaped unto Siroth. And it came to pass, when he was come, that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. And they went down after him, took the fords of Jordan toward Moab, and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. Cool, right? Yeah, I just love these guys. They're just warriors. Come on, follow me. I mean, he does this overt, uh, covert uh, uh, mission. You know, he's he's uh, it's cloak and dagger, literally, and and he's worked out this plan. I mean, this is really cool. He he thought about this. He worked out this plan. He made this uh, dagger for him so that he could use it for this purpose. He knew exactly what he was going to do. All planned out. He, he does a great thing. This guy gets killed. Come on, team, follow me. On to victory. 10,000 people are just destroyed. And not just common people, you know, men of valor, strength, battle-hardened men. They killed them. And so you see the strategy of a man on a mission for God. And it makes sense. Right? I mean, he has the wherewithal to do it. He can get into the inner chambers of this person. You know, he, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. Now, juxtaposed to that is verse 31. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. End of story. <laughs> End of story. So, my mind just kind of goes with all kinds of scenarios here. It's like, because I want what's not there. You know, I want the gaps to be filled in. So you have this guy, Shamgar, son of Anath. All right? He slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also, and he also delivered Israel. One lousy sentence. 
So I, I decided to, I, I don't think I've ever spoken in any fashion or form on Shamgar, so I thought, well, let me see what I can find out. There's not a whole lot to find out. There's some speculation. But what was cool when I went on Google, it's a couple pictures came up. You know how they show stuff. And one of them, I got, got it on my phone. It's from the uh, Lego Bible. <laughs> it's so cool. Here's Shamgar with his ox goad and other um, Lego guys are just dead all over the place. <laughs> uh, what's an ox goad? Well, that's another thing. Some say it's probably, oh, think of a pole maybe. I don't know how, how wide, four, five, six inches. Yeah, and it may be six to eight feet long, a point on one end so that they can goad the, the ox to do what he wants to do. Some think the other end might have had like a spade or some sort of tool to clean the plows uh, that were being pulled. Others, uh, if the pictures that I've seen, it's like it has like a softball-sized thing on the other end, I guess, for whacking. You know, so this is a sturdy piece of wood um, that, he, that he uses somehow. You know, so I, all the scenarios I've read were interesting. Some think, well, maybe he didn't do it all the time. Maybe he, he did covert options or uh, operations over a period of time where he snuck in and just others think, well, maybe it wasn't just him because others aren't mentioned. We think it's him, but maybe there were others because there's a verse in 1 Samuel 8, 7, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Well, David didn't kill ten thousands all by himself, but he had men that went with him. And, and in the course of the battles, this is what he did uh, uh, through his leadership. So how this guy did this, I don't know. I, I like to think that it's kind of like... Uh, that thing in Star Wars, that, that, you know, the lightsaber. Or, or you know, I was thinking if, if God could take his finger and write on the tablets of stone, there's got to be something emanating from that, as we, you know, finger of God. You know, like a laser, you know. I think I watched a cartoon thing where uh, on the giving the Ten Commandments, it was like a laser cutting it out. You know, I, you know so I, I don't know, did God... Somehow take that ox goat and it became a lightsaber. I mean, it's, it's I don't know. I don't know. You, you let your mind go out. But I, I find this really cool. I, I think it's interesting. Now, here you had Ehud who had this planned out thing. Perhaps when we come to Shamgar, what we have is a guy just, in other words, Ehud woke up one morning and said, I know what I'm doing. Here it is, I'm going to go do it. I don't think Shamgar woke up and said, hey, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I think today I'll go out, plow the field till about noon. You come back in, have lunch, maybe take a nap, and then go out and kill 600 Philistines. I, I don't think that it was like that. Perhaps he was out plowing the field. And because the Philistines were being such a pain, he might have been prepared, maybe, maybe not. But here's a guy... We'll just say it this way. Here's a guy doing his everyday life, being who he is in everyday life, just living that day like it's just a regular day. I'm going to go out and plow the field or do whatever I'm going to do. But something happens. And in a moment of time, perhaps, he sees the time to act and acts. Whether he acts alone or 
However it happens, he is a man that though he doesn't have a plan prepared, he's prepared inwardly to be used by God when and however. You know, we have Eglon, he's like the, the preppers, the Christian preppers, you know, camouflage my, 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 my uh, camper so that they can't see me in the woods, you know, and have all these stores ready to, you know, drag out into the woods. Then you have Shamgar, it's kind of like probably me. You know what? When the time comes, the time comes. I can camouflage my house, my car, myself. There's no place to hide anymore. It's not like in the good old days where the cowboys could run to some place and hide out the hole in the wall gang and they can't get in and find them. Where are you going to hide? I'm kind of the guy that says when it happens, it happens. I, I'm going to trust God. I don't want to be stupid, but I'm going to trust God. And, and maybe God's preparing me and going to prepare us. We have to believe in a supernatural God again that can do through us supernaturally for his glory. Yes, he uses a Ehud that has the plan all figured out. But there's a sham guard, a regular Joe Schmo guy with an axe guard. Ox, uh, ox, ox guard. I don't know where that came from. Ox guard. You know, then how did it happen? Well, okay. I, I want to believe that maybe most of us here can be a shamgar, right? We can be a shamgar. We need to have the Spirit of God in us. We need to be going about our daily life, driving the bus, thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? This is the craziest thing ever. What was I thinking? I should listen to my wife. I should listen to Koi. Ah! No. God, I don't know how, and this is what I pray, God, I don't know how you're going to use me in the lives of these kids. I may not be in a bus now, but maybe I'll see them someplace else. Hey, aren't you my bus driver? Or they're going to walk, ask, you know, what, you know, noticing those strings. You know, you don't know, but if you're not prepared and you're not asking and you're not praying and you're not saying, God, I want to be a ready vessel. I want to have an ox goat in my hand so that if you want to use me in my daily life, you can use me, right? We need to wake up in the morning and say, all right, I'm not Ehud, but God, let me be Shamgar. I might not get as many verses as he did, but gosh, you can, you know, I like to be used for you for one sentence of time, right? And though being dead, yet speaketh. Cool, right? I don't know. To me, this is cool. All right, let's go now to the second set. All right, so now, chapter 4. And we'll read a lot of this because, I, I, and I don't know what I'm going to say along the way. We'll say a few things. All right, so, verse 1. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazar. The captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Herosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron. In 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. Now enters the characters. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. 
And she sent and called Barak. So these are two people, Deborah and Barak. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kedesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabar, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun, Zebulun, and I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. So perhaps he had already received this message from God, but was kind of unsure how to proceed. So here's a man sort of in preparation. Not maybe sure how to do this. You know, I'm just kind of reading into it, but I, this is what I've read in my studies on this. So, verse 8, And Barak said unto her, Barak, I guess, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor, for the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. <clears throat> and Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. So, you know, basically she's saying, yeah, fine, but, some, you know, you're not going to get the honor and glory. A woman's going to get it, and maybe two women here, because we're going to see in the second part another woman. <clears throat> um Probably what's going on here is Deborah, she has, she's the brains, and Barak, Barak, is the brawn. And they both need each other. Then they can go forward. And I like that. Because not always does everything come in one package in a person. Very rarely. If ever. Right? I can remember years ago when went back to uh, our church in South Carolina. It was anniversary of Pastor Green something, maybe 25 years there or his age or something, and they flew me in to, to preach this anniversary thing. <clears throat> and, you know, if you've read my blog about Mrs. Inez Milford, I mentioned Pastor Green in there. Love that man to death. Our family owes everything to him, literally Spiritually speaking, everything, 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 everything. Pastor Green, that church, our period of time there is the foundation upon which our family has lived. Um, <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> so I was preaching the message. <clears throat> pastor Green is the quintessential pastor. I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but when that man shows up on the scene... Everything's okay. He just has that. If he ever hears this, I, please don't take offense at this, Pastor Green. He's not necessarily the best preacher in the world. But he, bar none, is the best pastor in the world. And so I said in that meeting that God doesn't always give everything to one man. And I mentioned what I just said during all that message because God uses others to fill in where an individual is somewhat lacking that's why Paul uses the analogy of, a, of the body we all need each other now, I can't say oh man you sorry baby toe because the body needs a baby toe so 
Deborah is the brains, Barak is the bronze. They come together and make this perfect team. All right, now, verse 10. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kedesh. And he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now, here's a little, right now we don't know what's going to be happening as we're reading through the text, but there's, there's an unnoticed movement of the providence of God that has taken place in verse 11. Now, Heber, the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobad, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent unto the plain of Zanim, which is by Kedesh. That right now is going to be important a few verses from now. But what I want to say is, sometimes the, the decisions and choices, the moves you make, the ch different changes of jobs, just seem like, they're just so insignificant and nothing really important is, is in relation to that. But God is, in his providence, using us to bring about his plan and purpose. And so this, this fellow Heber, the Kenite, he does something unbeknownst to him that is going to have important ramifications later on. All right, so verse 12. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was gone up to Mount Tabar. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Harish of the Gentiles unto the river of Kishon. And Deborah, Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thy hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabar and 10,000 men after him, and the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Herosheth of the Gentiles, and all the hosts of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit, Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. And that's the person we met there in verse 11. So he, uh, uh, he fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael. And this is a, the second person here, Jael. The wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera. Now, this is like Shamgar. She did not wake up and say, you know what? This is what I'm going to do today. She's another person living life. Here comes God's opportunity to her, just like to, who did we just read about? I forgot, Shamgar, because there was somebody pre-prepared. I don't know about you, but I find it hard to prepare, prepare, prepare. It's like, you know, soldiers get sick of drill, 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 drill. When are we ever going to have battle? But if you don't drill, 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 when it comes time for a battle, you're not ready for the battle. I, one of my, there's, I like submarine uh, movies, World War II movies. I like the old black and white ones. Well, and, and, and it happens in other uh, submarine movies. But, but the captain wants him to drill. To, oh, dive, dive, dive. You know, and he's down there timing it. 23 seconds, sir. That's not good enough. Practice, we're going to do it again. I want this down to 17 seconds. And they're saying, 17 seconds? How are we ever going to do that? So dive, 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 dive. So after practice, practice, drill, drill, drill. Finally, the captain says, 17 seconds. Now we're ready. 
All right? God's looking for people who in their daily life, I've got to get this across. I hope I am. I probably said it 15 times. Who are saying, God, I don't know what's going to happen today, but if per chance you happen to pass on by, you know, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth uh, to uh, act on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him, right? He's out there. He's just, I don't know how he does it. He's in his, his, uh, 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 his presidential jet. You know, what's that thing called? Air Force One. He's in Air Force Zero. And he's, and he's like, aha, there's that person. I can use him today. I think it's that basic. All right, so anyway, I, I kind of led us into this. All right, so anyway. All right, so do that to 18. In jail, this is the wife of that Hebrew guy that God providentially put where he knew he was going to need him. Jail went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my Lord, turn in to me. Fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. She opened up a bottle of milk. Not a bottle like we're thinking of, you know what I'm saying. And gave him drink and covered him. Again he said unto her, Stand in that door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire thee, and say, Is there any man here, that thou shalt say, No. So, let's keep reading. I get a ton of things. Then jail, this, this is just so cool. Then jail, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent... So in other words, a stake to, to stake down the tent, all right? And took a hammer in her hand. I, I wish we knew if she was left or right handed. I'm assuming she held the peg in her left and the hammer in her right. But maybe she's a left-handed woman. Um, blah, 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 uh, in her hand, 21, and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temples and fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep. And weary. So he died. Can you, you know, the gonads this woman has, if I can say it that way. I mean, this is incredible. She's at the tent. Hey, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Uh, hide me. Okay, get, get on the floor here. I'll cover you up. Get on something to drink. Sure. Gives them milk, maybe to help them sleep more. I don't know. Goat's milk, whatever it was. So she, she gets a peg, and here he is. She softly goes up. You got to see this. I mean, can you imagine what this woman? thinking and feeling right now. Yeah, she had to probably get down on her knees. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> what force I would take to get it to the head and nail it to the ground. Well, we're going to learn another fact in a minute. So, uh, so 22. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, jail came out, to, jail came out and said, Hey, Come! I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into the, her tent, behold, sister lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. <laughs> That's awesome. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. And isn't that just cool? You have Ehud, Deborah, and Barak. Well thought out plans. Well, sure, they're going to use them. God will use them. I mean, who wouldn't? You'd pick them. All right, who's got a plan here? I do. Okay. All right, let's see what it is. Ehud. Yep. Okay, yes. Shamgar, where are you going to? I don't know. I'm going to go plow the field today. Right? All right, so let's read chapter 5. 
and that's where we'll end. But we have to read chapter 5 because it builds, all right? Then sang Deborah and Barak. You know, I, I'm assuming it's a duet. I would have loved to see it. And that fits the thing of hand in hand. She's the brain, he's the bronze. You know, she sang, you know, the female part, he sang the bass. And, you know, anyway. So, so then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel. When the people willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye kings. Give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marched out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled, and the heavens dropped. The clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, and in the days of Jael. Now, isn't that cool? In their song, they elevate to a point of praise to be sung these two people because they were so influential in what God was going to do in the bigger scheme. You know, if you've ever played chess, the pawns, you know, the pawns are those little guys. But I'm telling you, you can use those pawns effectively if you know what you're doing to set up a greater strategy to win. Yes, they're the expendable crewmen. But the expendable crewmen serve a purpose. Are you willing to be, in Star Trek, the expendable crewmen? You know, they go off on an away mission. Okay, well, there's Riker and Geordi and Data and the doctor and this other person. Well, you know who's going to be dead. Right? The expendable crewman. Are you willing to be the expendable crewman? I mean, because God needs that. All right, I say too much. All right, so in the days of Shamgar, uh, 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 the six. Uh, the son of Anath in the days of jail. So this, the rest of it speaks to the fact that they were so oppressed, the, the roads that people used to travel, they couldn't anymore because of uh, the, the impact of the enemies. They had to kind of go through the back roads to get wherever they wanted, right? The highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. They, talking about God's people, they chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. Was there a shield or spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? In other words, probably uh, their, their weapons were taken away from them so they couldn't defend themselves. Much, pretty much like the Democrats and Obama and all those people want to take away our guns. You know, because once you take away the guns, then you can do whatever you want with the people. Well, they were being disarmed. So they had to build and, and come up with their own instruments. Have an ox guard. Make, it, make a, a sword. Uh, and on and on and on. All right. So basically, in essence, they were defenseless. Verse 9. My heart is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord. Speak, ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment and walk by the way. They that are delivered from the noise of archers in the places of drawing water, there shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord, even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of his villages in Israel. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake. Utter a song, arise, Barak, and lead 
thy captivity kept captive, thou son of Abinoam. Then he made him that remaineth have dominion over the nobles among the people. The Lord made me have dominion over the mighty. Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people, out of Makar came down governors, and out of Zebulun, they that handled the pen of the writer. That's an interesting one. They that handled the pen of the writer. There's, if you ever get into studying, it's, they just rip this verse apart. Of course, that's not what it means. But if you study a little bit deeper, it, what it might simply mean is there, some of these people were strategists. They were map makers. You know, they could draw stuff. Maybe they took, wrote down orders so that the orders could be transferred. Hey, I need a runner to take this order over here. You know, God. So, yes, the guy that wields a sword, but sometimes you need the, per, the person that um, can handle the pen of a writer, right? I mean, you need all these. You need the people that are kind of behind the scenes to make the whole machinery work. And that might have been them. 15. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar, and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the highway. Now, here we're getting into a section where it's like, people just, I'm not sure if I want to get on board with this, so let's just hang back a little bit. And so they are mentioned now unfavorably. So it says, uh, 15, for the divisions of Reuben, there were great thoughts of heart. It's like, well, I don't know if we want to get involved in this. Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds? To hear the bleeding of the flocks? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead abode beyond Jordan. And why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. Zebulon and Naphtali, on the other hand, were a people that jeoparded their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. Listen, we are going to have to be Christians, believers, that are willing to jeopardize our life unto death. I'm telling you, we have to get this mindset, and if it's not us that lives to that point in time, our kids, our grandchildren, we have to come to the point where we say, Father, I am truly expendable. The Muslims are expendable. They're just, they're willing to do what has to be done. Us Christians, we, I don't know if it's coin hour talking about, we are so wimpy and milk toast and we're just wet noodles. We're just like Reuben. Oh, I don't know what I want to do. Uh, you know, I'm going to hang around my sheep. You know, why are you remaining in your ships? You know, we need some people. Zebulun and Naphtali, they jeoparded their lives unto the death. Isn't that cool? I love that. I'm scared of that. I, it's, it's great to preach this. I don't want to just get to that point where it's like, okay, God, here we go. And then you're already dead. That great line in the band of, of brothers, um, World War II thing, where, where the, the one soldier, i got to remember where I'm going with this, the one soldier is cowering in his foxhole and throughout the battle because you're scared to death. And, uh, oh, what's, what's that guy? Spears, Lieutenant Spears. comes. Spears is just a cool guy. And he's... If you've never seen Band of Brothers, you need to see when it comes out or on TV. It's awesome. And up based on truth. So Spear comes up to him and says, do you know why? They're, they're talking. And Spear says, do you know why you hid in that hole? And he looks, because I'm scared. He said, no, uh, Blythe. The reason you're scared is because you believe there's still hope. But when you come to the point where you see yourself as already dead, then you will be able to function as a soldier functions without fear, without remorse, without regret, without any regret. 
And those of you who've seen Band of Brothers, Spears is a guy that runs across the field and, and delivers the message. And, and all the Germans are saying, what is this we're seeing? Then he turns right around and runs all the way back. Why could Spears do that? He was already dead. Right? Until believers in Yeshua see themselves, as Paul says, dead, we're not going to be the Shamgars. And we're not going to be the jails. For God, that we need to be. Nineteen. Then, uh, sorry, the kings came and fought, and then fought the kings of Canaan and Tanak by the waters of Megiddo. They took no gain of money. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. And I don't want to get into that. Some believe there might have been some atmospherical events that were going on that maybe God used to play into this overall defeat. 21. The river of Kishon swept them away. That ancient river, the river of Kishon. O oh, my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. Then were the horses' hoofs broken by the means of their prancings, the prancings of their mighty ones. In other words, in the midst of battle, maybe the horses got so spooked, they were just kind of stomping their hoofs uh, and, and maybe not able to move because of their uh, prancing and maybe shatter some of their hoofs. I, I don't know. I won't. I, I got to stop explaining everything. Kershi Miraz said the angel of the Lord. This is, well... Here, Miraz, one author said, a village on the confines of Issachar and Naphtali, which lay in the course of the fugitives, but the inhabitants declined to aid in their destruction. All right? Kershi Miraz said the angel Lord, Kershi bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Now, here we go. Blessed above women shall Jael the wife of Heber the Kenite, who happened to move one time, didn't know why, but here he was, so that I could use her, set up at this time. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. He asked water, she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. She put her hand to the nail. Oh, here it is, right hand. And her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. And some believe she, after she nailed his head to the ground, took a sword and cut off his head. At her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay down. At her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, then he fell down dead. The mother of Sisera, this is a great line if you've, if you've ever seen uh, Dances with Wolves, the guy that takes uh, Kevin Costner out to his fort way out in the middle of nowhere. They're traveling out there, and they see this, this skeleton on, on dead. It's been there picked clean, and, and the, the guy who's driving the wagon says, I bet there's some wife home saying, why don't he write? Why don't he write? Well, this is what's going on here. The mother of Sisera looked out the window and said, why don't he write? Why don't he write? <laughs> Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariot? His wise, her wise ladies answered her, yea, she returned answered to himself, have they not sped, um, have they not devised, uh, divided a prey to every man a damsel or two? So they're putting the best scenario on it. To Sisera, a prey of diverse colors, uh, a, a prey of diverse colors of needlework, of diverse colors of needlework on both sides. Meet for the uh, next of them that take the spoil. So let all thine enemies Perish, O Lord. 
But let them that love him be as a son when he goeth forth in his might. <sighs> I'm tired. And the land had rest 40 years. Does that not stir you? It just stirs me. It just stirs me. You know, I don't know if I can see Judy taking that tent peg, but I can see maybe Mary Lee or uh, Melissa. Oh, no, they ain't coming. I, <laughs> I love that. You know, then you have these other men that are, I don't know if I should go to battle. I don't know if I should go to battle. Then you have Deborah, a woman, and J.L., a woman, doing mighty acts for God. This is just great stuff. God uses women. God uses men. He's just basically looking for people that say, Here am I, Lord, like Isaiah did. Send me. Every day when you wake up. Because you don't know what God has in store for you that day. To be on the lookout. To be ever vigilant. You know, after a while, you know, whenever you get into something new, you're excited. You're going to go on a diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three weeks into it. I don't want to do this anymore. I hate this. It stinks. You know, or, yeah, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And then you get, you know, a few days into it. And it's like, well, okay, nothing's really happening. That was pretty dull. You know, I'm reading through Leviticus. Okay, and when you, and when there's leprosy, and, and if you, and then have the sacrifice. And it's like, huh, you know. It's hanging in there day in and day out. And that's what we need to be. It makes life, I think, somewhat worth living to think maybe today, God, maybe today you use me to open up my mouth to witness to that person. Maybe today you will use me in ways I don't know until maybe later on. But to be prepared. Have your ox goad. Have your hammer and nail ready. Stand by the tent door. No, no, they're, you know, they're just zooming by. Zooming. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, come here, come here, come here. Come here. You know, maybe in an instant, she said, oh, yeah, nail, tent, tent peg, hammer, sword over there. Oh, okay. You know, it just all came. I mean, that's how my mind works. You know, I'm, I, I'm not very good in the walls, but if, if in a crisis, that's, my mind has absolute clarity. It's so weird. I don't have clarity lots of other times, but you put me in there, it's like, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> I can see it all before it happens. Maybe that's how it was with JL. Oh, tempeh, hammer, sword. I got it. Milk. Oh, yeah, I better get milk. Oh, gosh. Okay, I got to show up. But in this, I want to excite us that it is that real. And you may only get one sentence in the annals of God's history. May it be a good sentence. Let's pray. Father, I, I just I hope I conveyed the encouragement this was to me. I, I love this stuff. It's real. It, it happened. It's history. It's, but it's here written for us because you're still looking for these type of people. You're, you're looking for Shamgars. And you're looking for jails. Yes, they're not the Debras and the Barracks and the Ehuds. But God, you still use the Shamgars and the jails. Help us to be encouraged by that. I mean, you didn't die to save us, Lord Jesus, just so that we can kind of rot on the vine. Right? There has to be some purpose. And we may not ever know, but... Help us to live every day like our life is living out your purpose. Even and maybe especially when it doesn't seem like anything's happening. 
Help us to just wake up and face the next day and say, Father, here am I, send me. If not today, tomorrow. In Yeshua's name, amen.